You're listening to What's That Noise, the podcast that pursues matters of confusion and clarity, however and whatever that means. Here's your hosts, Tommy and Derek. Two possession game, 114-110. Curry lets it fly. Canada, the NBA title is yours. The Toronto Raptors are the 2019 NBA champions. After the Toronto Raptors won their first championship in franchise history, attention quickly shifted from celebration to discussions of whether or not the team's star player and finals MVP Kawhi Leonard would re-sign with the team. What ensued was commonly referred to by media as the Kawhi Watch, which captivated the city and perhaps even all of Canada, and led media and fans on a path that would see them attempt to track and monitor Kawhi's every move on and offline. Perhaps predictably for Tommy and I, this whole thing led to questions related to the expectation of privacy in the public sphere. Why do we care so much about our own privacy and yet completely disregard the privacy of notable people? Why don't we respect the privacy of individuals who may be, willingly or unwillingly, in the public eye? What do moments of extreme surveillance of notable public figures tell us about the so-called surveillance society? These are just a couple of the questions we touch on in this episode, which I have to admit, is one of my personal favorites of What's That Noise. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. And what would you like people to know about you? Uh, I'm a fun guy. Uh, obviously, I love the game of basketball. Um, I mean, it's just more questions you have to ask me um, in order for me to tell you about myself. I just can't give you a whole spiel. I don't even know where you're sitting at. <laughs> Everyone's on Kawhi Watch right now as we wait to hear what team Kawhi Leonard will sign with. How confident should Toronto be about Kawhi staying in the six? Not too confident. I'm of the mindset, Max, that he's made it very, very clear, or at least his people have in the past, that he wants to be in L.A. Enjoy this. Enjoy this moment. And have fun with it. Aha, ha, ha, ha. Yeah! Okay. Take a look at how CP24, the 24-hour news channel in Toronto, decided to cover his arrival. They tracked... The MLSC plane, as it landed, arrived on the tarmac. Then you see a couple of people come out of the plane. I guess <laughs> one of those is Kawhi. I don't care about anything you just said. You know why Hist- I don't care about anything you just said? History made. I don't care about the history last night. One I don't care about the history coming up Sunday night in game two. You know why? Why? He's staying. What? A lot of people are making like OJ comparisons because it did. Yeah, it, it, it looks like, like, this, like it, right? A similar shot. Like You're tracking case. like an SUV, uh-huh. a Jeep. Down the highway. Where is Kawhi Leonard going to sign? You gonna do that to me? <laughs> I say Toronto. Ooh. I, I say, I say. Why is a guy who's fun? Yeah. We know this. Fun he's guy. a fun guy, but he doesn't like a lot of attention. I want to put a request in the media right now because our superstar, Kawhi Leonard, 
he's going out in the city and he's being like uh, paparazzi, he's being harassed, he's being, you know, uh, followed, uh, he's not, we are not giving him the space. And I think the correct website is kawaiyoushouldstay.com. Come in here, we'll repeat it together. You ready? Yes. One, two, three. Kawhi, What do you want to talk about today? Kawhi. Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi, no privacy. <laughs> yeah, like that whole thing was super, super interesting. I'm so I'm like a huge Toronto sports fan, as are you. You're wearing a Toronto Maple Leafs hat right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm a huge Raptors fan. I've got a, I've got Kawhi Leonard on my wall. Oh. Right now. So Tommy just saw, I have a, a framed poster or like a canvas poster of the shot. The buzzer beater. Yeah. The, the game seven buzzer beater against Fade. Philly. Yeah. That was a, that was a huge moment in Toronto sports. Huge moment in my life. Huge moment in, I think a lot of people's lives. I remember where I was yeah. and what I was doing when that happened. Yeah. I think, I think like there are moments in sport has that power to sort of make us always remember those moments. I remember in 1993, I don't remember 1992 when the Jays won the World Series, but I remember 1993 for some reason. I think maybe just the development of my brain. I was at the <laughs> stage in, in 1993, but not in 1992. And I remember exactly what I was doing. Pots and pans, smashing in downtown Toronto. Wow. Uh, it, was, it was pretty wild like with my family. You're just a youngin' back then. I was super young. Yeah. And you remember that. Yeah, I remember that distinctly. I would have remembered when the Leafs won a cup. <laughs> But I wasn't alive for that. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Who knows? This year maybe maybe the time. But let's I, not get ahead of ourselves. Yeah. Let's stick with the Raptors. Yeah. So that's a that's a beautiful piece of canvas there. Yeah. And and so like I'm really interested in sport. I'm really interested in the influence that sport has in our daily lives. And I think that th- what happened after Toronto won the NBA championship this past year was so fascinating to me as a sociologist of sport. Um, just to see not only Toronto sort of band together and and really, I don't know, in a way I've never seen Toronto really come together. And, and I don't know, Durkheim would call this like, you know, the social solidarity. To see how that, how that happens in sport was awesome. That was great. It was nice. Then there were like some moments, uh, maybe we'll get into them uh, in this podcast. There were some moments of like difficulty, like at the parade and all that sort of stuff. But then... What happened after that and the fan base tracking of Kawhi Leonard and where he was going and where he was going to sign and whether or not he was going to sign with the Toronto Raptors was absolutely fascinating for me to watch. And it's at this point that we should probably share, although I'm sure some of our listeners already know, that you are also a sociologist of sport. Yes, Yes. So and I so te- this isn't just like a side interest for us. I mean, Nick, you, no. you focus on this, you publish on these kinds yeah. of things. So your interest and your fascination has some like real professional yeah, absolutely. investment, right? And it's a kind of a, a, a story that I, that I tell people is like, so I told myself very early on when I realized that like the more I learned about things, the more I would like be really disgusted by things. Um, and I told myself really early on, I'm not going to research sport and I'm not going to research dogs because those two things 
I love and I don't want to ruin them. You created uh, sanctity spaces. Yes. You created safe spaces for I yourself. Did. And then I started studying sport. I just sort of couldn't help myself. And now I'm now I constantly negotiate this like fine line between being a fan and being a very critical observer um, in my work on sport. Hmm. Um, and I think that's why I found this case so interesting. I wanted Kawhi to sign just like the fan in me wanted Kawhi to sign. The sociologist in me wanted everyone to like chill out, chill out for a minute and realize what is actually happening here, which I think we can get into some of the specifics uh, throughout the pod. Is there something specific in your training or your teaching in the sociology of sport that made you really pay attention to this that really made the lights go off so to speak yeah so i'm i i'm really interested in the in the ncaa the uh, um, national uh, collegiate basketball or athletic association but that particularly revenue sports like basketball and football mm-hmm. and i i think it tells us a lot about how we approach labor and how we approach um the division of labor and society in general and I think like we exploit these young people and we exploit athletic bodies continuously. And I found that or I, I, the way I understood this whole situation was along those same lines. It's like, how are we valuing this person? Are we, do we care about Kawhi Leonard, the human, or do we care about Kawhi Leonard, the commodity on the floor that provides us with this, with this feeling of attachment to our community, with the entertainment, with the, the jerseys, with the shot, like, do we care more about that than we do about this human? And if so, like, what does that tell us about us? What does that tell us about us as fans? What does that tell us, us about uh, people who operate in the society? And I think that what the ways in which we approach that, like, is Kawhi signing in Toronto? This Kawhi and Dine stuff. Um, public calls, like, leave him alone. And then, you know, like a... a eerily similar to OJ Simpson sort of chase helicopter chase that we were chasing an SUV to see where it was going because we thought Kawhi News was helicopter in it. was literally watching the plane come on the runway you yeah. could see Kawhi and somebody else get out of the plane yeah and if you see if we all are familiar I think pretty much everyone who would listen to this is familiar with the OJ Simpson Ford Bronco mm-hmm. chase. it was eerily similar to that it was like a black Tahoe or I don't know something some black SUV and like that was just so fascinating because I was watching this happen in real time, real time, and not just on the television. So O.J. Simpson, it was just on the television. And that changed for many like criminologists of media that changed everything like the O.J. Simpson. That was like the beginning of true reality TV for many people. This operated. This happened not only on television, but also was happening on Twitter, on Reddit, on boards, on subreddits. It was happening everywhere and I was following all of this and to me it was blowing my mind and I couldn't stop thinking about privacy and about like whether like this person Kawhi Leonard has notoriously been a private human. Hmm. He doesn't want attention. Mm -hmm. He's come out publicly and said he doesn't want attention. So we're what are we doing? And how, what does that tell us about our relationship with athletic bodies, professional athletic bodies, and how we treat them as a human or a not human in certain contexts? And that's so fascinating. These are really great points. 
I think there are some other stakes that we should probably outline. Yeah. Um, and I don't, I don't mean in terms of Kauai as a commodity or as a human. I think that's a really great way to put it. I, I think we should try to talk about or take stock of the stakes for the fans. Yeah. Because we haven't seen anything really significant happen in sporting history since the early 90s in Toronto. Yeah. Um, well, that's not fair. It's TFC. Not, yeah, that's not true. The Argonauts won. The Argos. Hey. I don't know. Yeah, a crappy football league. A crappy football team. <laughs> yeah, I think they just... They're awful. Yeah, they right are Right now awful. they are. But nobody cares about Canadian but, football. But, but I mean, really, to see the, the amount of people in the celebration. Yeah. That to hit that level we have not seen since the early 90s. Yeah. And then before that, when the Leafs won the cup in the 60s, 67... Yeah. The last time they won the cup, hopefully they're going to change that. So what what is at stake for the fan? I mean, like the first one that comes to mind is emotion. Yeah. When, to me, what was going on in my mind when I saw all of this coverage about Kawhi staying, Kawhi leaving, maybe Kawhi stays, maybe Kawhi leaves, maybe he's going to stay, maybe he's going to leave, maybe he's going to stay, maybe he's going to leave, just did not stop. Yeah. The baseball was on. Yeah. Nobody was talking about hockey. Basketball was over. But we weren't talking about whether or not we feel good because the Raptors won. Mm -hmm. We weren't talking about, uh, you know, here's me and my friend down in Mexico and Cancun are wearing a Raptors gear. We're talking about whether or not a man is going to leave a team. Mm -hmm. And what this symbolized to me was uh, the future of success versus failure. And I saw that from an emotional register. Mm -hmm. I see it in an emotional register is what I mean. If Kawhi leaves, we could suffer next year. Yeah. That's one big stake, that, the one that really jumps out at me. There's like this paranoid fear that if yeah. he doesn't come back, we're, we're, we're doomed. Yeah. But so what is that? What is that fear? That people are going to suffer. Yeah. That, they're, that if, if we don't defend the title next year, yeah. listen, I'm already using we. Yeah. Oh, my, of course. My goodness. Yeah. I'm going to stop doing that for the sake of this episode, <laughs> for the sake of like maintaining a, maintaining a healthy proximity from my subject well, of analysis. Th- th- this, like even that, like we all, not we all, a lot of us do that when we're talking about our favorite sports teams. Why? And I think that's a sociological question. Why do we connect ourselves to our sports teams and, and treat as our, treat it as our own community? I think that's precisely the influence of sport and the emotion is, is a huge register yeah. that, that yeah, we can like, measure that it's in. not just emotion though like, for sure I, I, there's I, many absolutely yeah it, it's not just an emotional attachment i think that it's an attachment um that follows our understanding of social reality that sounds like abstract what i mean by that is i think it's an attachment to a division of labor uh, and this is very marxist of me but I think it's an attachment to understanding that these people, that these humans are there for our disposal, are there for our entertainment, are there for us. Mm-hmm. And that's it. At the end of the day, their family doesn't matter. Their life doesn't matter. Their problems don't matter. It's about being on the court or on the ice surface or on the field. So then there's there's an obvious neoliberal American dream thing here, too. Yeah. Where is Kawhi from? I don't know. He's from L.A. He's or from L.A. Outside of L.A. That's right. Going back to the Clippers. Yeah, he's going home. We literally just talked yeah. about this, right? So he's going back home. So it doesn't really appeal to the identity thing. And the identity thing in Toronto is huge. And you can connect this to the emotion as well. Yeah. But 
The Toronto sports community writ large, in general, for a long time, has been paranoid about not being successful. Yeah. And when you tie that back into questions or matters of national identity or identity through sport, which I entirely agree with you on, the presence of somebody who ends up on a canvas in your office, the buzzer-beating fadeaway shot, the three-pointer that basically propelled them to the position where they actually could put a ring on their finger. And did. And did. You're memorializing history in your room right now, right? So those are huge things. So again, the identity thing with Kawhi is not self-evident. He's from LA, but basketball in Toronto and Drake pulls together all sorts of disparate communities, some of which have been kind of narrated in the media as being very violent. Mm -hmm. It's very difficult places to grow up. Mm -hmm. So... There's an identity thing in here for sure. So we've got emotion, we've got identities. Is there anything else worth mentioning or discussing about stakes for the fan? Because it, you're right, man. The, the craziness of the media coverage was insane. And I understand that even people like Brian Hayes on TSN, who even though says he's not part of the media that obsesses, he, he clearly did. I love, I on a side, I love when, when media personalities act as if they're not you know part what? of the very media Absolutely. that they are part of. Let's just play that clip right now. Uh, so Chris Haynes from Yahoo uh, updated the Kawhi Leonard rumors and reports. And yes. at this point, you can report anything and people are going to... Oh my God. Just attach themselves to it. I mean, so this, this is a clear example of somebody that says they're not part of the problem, but they yeah. clearly are. Yeah. Right? So the, we get that the media needs to report on something, and this became the thing that a lot of people like Brian Hayes and, and Toronto sportscasters could really ground themselves in. But the the thing for the fan is that when they're they're tuning into like the most listened to sports talk shows, there's this intimate, you know, collective creation of being able to become something through basketball and through sport in Toronto, especially in like a city that has these these massive teams that you can't find anywhere else in Canada maybe that's the window into national identity that you're not going to get in Vancouver or Montreal because you know our only basketball team in Canada is in Toronto the only baseball team that we have is in Toronto I would argue the only meaningful hockey team we have is in Toronto (laughs) shots fired shots fired so emotion and identity I media investment obviously then yeah money Money, yeah. It's not really for the fans, power. the media, media investment. I think the mo- I think it's about power. So we've we've covered our bases. This makes sense about why people could have some sort of investment mm-hmm. as fans, as media people. Is there something else missing here that still makes it like weirdly unusual for you as a sociologist? Um. We, you mentioned the division of labor thing, but yeah. are we missing something? I feel like there's still something missing. Well, what do you feel like we're missing? I don't know. Like maybe it's some sort of cultural or social observation, some mm-hmm. sort of description. That's just, I don't know. And, and part of the reason why, and I'm not an expert in this, is yeah. because the hyper obsession is at a level, level that I've never seen. And I think you're you're correct in saying like OJ Simpson sort of stuff. That That's... To see the plane land, to have a helicopter, knowing the flight number, to watch it come on the landing strip, to have the permission in the airspace to do something like that, mm. which means somebody at a media company approved it, because that was a, a news helicopter, wasn't it? Yeah. You can't just loiter over an airport. Yeah. That's that's a big no-no. <laughs> I'm not a pilot, and I know that. Yeah. 
so and then this is a finely orchestrated thing that yeah. was that was really weird for me and I, like as a sociologist i struggle to make sense of mm. of how all these things come together yeah and why it was so intense well i think this like i don't know uh, maybe you're wearing the tinfoil like on your head again because like i don't think it was like or uh, like an orchestrated thing i think like any news outlet in toronto can get airspace maybe not like unlimited airspace over an airport but they can get airspace to go along the dvp which is a highway or the 401 which is another highway they can they can figure that stuff out very easily like on the on a on a whim so like all they need to say is like we're gonna fly around is it okay right now and that's based on intelligence gathered through this whole process of like i bet these people are on reddit i bet these people are on twitter and somebody highlighted that the MLSE jet, private jet, was landing in Toronto at that time. So then a journalist who was just looking at Reddit or looking at Twitter was like, uh, oh, I'm going to figure out what's going on with that. And then goes up the chain and they send the helicopter. It was a weird call that they decided that that was an appropriate thing. Um, but I don't think it was like some orchestrated, like people on the inside were like, messaging people like oh Kawhi's gonna land at this time like you, well you have to know the flight number so that yeah. does require organization yeah, and i think it came i think it came grassroots i think it came from the grassroots i think it came from reddit i think people and this is why i'm interested in like the privacy avenue of this because i think people tipped off journalists to the fact that mlsc private jet was the private jet was landing I think it, it where this actually manifested in my observation was on Reddit. One person keen and they did this with Mike Babcock. They did this with the coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs as well. When he the day that he was signing, I remember getting a text message from one of my friends who's very close to like understanding like the inside of the NHL and it said the MLSE private plane is landing or is flying from Detroit to to the island airport in toronto he texted me that within 40 minutes news broke that mike babcock was the new coach of the toronto maple Leafs. that was the first time i've ever heard of tracking a plane and now it seems like normalized now anytime you want like news you want to break that news you can track a plane now and it's like open source you can find this information anywhere Another writer in Toronto had said that the story didn't break on Reddit, it broke on Twitter. There, at the time that this was happening, there were a handful of people who generated a massive following very quickly because they had very well orchestrated, and we're going to have to disagree, agree to disagree on how we understand or use the, the term orchestration, but there were a handful of people who gathered massive followings very quickly by having very fine-tuned posts series of posts where they said i am literally sitting in this airport in i don't remember where it was philadelphia or la and i got confirmation from my ex's best friend <laughs> who knows Kawhi, who said he's here he's signing with the other team in la and yeah. it was it was complete bs yeah. it wasn't true yeah so i i can to an extent i can sort of see how all of these things are coming together but at the same time I have trouble accepting this idea that it's just a grassroots thing because look look how people in sports uh, culture, sports broadcasting culture, talk about sports in Toronto. Mm -hmm. The most listened to sports talk show 
in Canada is primetime sports, drive home, AM 590 in Toronto, mm -hmm. and you can get it anywhere else on that network and different radio stations across the country. All they did was talk about Kauai. Mm -hmm. All they did, they set the tone. Yeah, they established a narrative yeah, first. Yeah. That's an intentional decision. Yeah. That's that's a media policy, a media yeah. strategy oh, yeah, thing yeah. to say. Of course, they're going like, to, there's just nothing won. else happening. So somewhere between grassroots and somewhere between like media companies obsessing with yeah. what he's doing. But like, that seems like a weird causal argument there that media portrays the information and then we like eat it up and then we're obsessed. Media gives us what we want. It's a, it's a dyadic relation. It's probably even more complex than that, but it's I, like, a, it's a mm, two way relationship. I, I, what I think we should do mm. for a future episode on, on a series on like the sociology of sport yeah. is you and I listen to one entire sports radio broadcast from Toronto. It yeah. can be overdrive. It can be any one of those drive home shows. It can yeah. be primetime sports, even though Bob McClown isn't on it anymore. Yeah. We can listen to any one of those. And what would be really interesting about doing it right now, man, is people still talk about hockey. There hasn't been hockey since the spring. Yeah. Right? And all of it is rumors. Yeah. It's of all course. rumors. They have entire teams of broadcasters because dedicated to rumors. We eat that stuff up. So then am I not proving your point wrong? No. Because you're assuming that they force feed us what we want. People retweet, it's a, it's oh, a, I just heard this rumor that it's a mutually, Matt Sundin is coming yeah. out of retirement. He's going to become that's a leaf again. What I'm it's, a, it's a mutually reinforcing thing. We want news for our favorite teams. Why? Because we want to see them do well. Why? Because we want to gloat to our friends on Monday at the water cooler. Um, we want to be part of a community. We want to we want to celebrate together in Nathan Phillips Square. We want to buy merchandise. We want to uh, watch rewatch. We want to see inside the lives of these humans. We want all of those things. So we want the information. Media knows that they will sell if they give us what we want. So they give us what we want. Then that also reinforces that we actually want that because we keep hearing about it. So it's this sort of cycle where you can't say the media controls the narrative. It doesn't. I think that's a reductionist take on media. Media controls a narrative that it wants people, that it thinks people want. And then people have a narrative that they want. Those two things interact to create a narrative or a multitude of narratives. And I think that that's kind of what happened here. If, if you want to do like a genealogy of a specific narrative, a specific one, mm. I would entirely agree with you. Yeah. I'm not temporally, I'm not really thinking or talking about what the fans are doing with it. Yeah. What I'm getting at is that from the perspective of people sitting in a boardroom yeah. at TSN or Sportsnet, I think there are specific decisions made about what they're going to talk about and how they're going to talk about it. Yeah, I agree. I, I agree, agree with completely. you about what happens yeah. after that, but I'm yeah. only talking about that first bit. Yeah. Well, I agree. And, and like, even, okay, so the media stuff, it really doesn't even matter. Like, why the media gives us media influences why, pe like, public opinion. We know this. Public opinion influences what media does. We know this. People, humans, went to the hotel that Kawhi was rumored to be at. Like 100 people showed up there. I saw on TV, like one person brought his son. And like, why are you here? I want to see Kawhi. Like, people 
And that only could have happened in that, that quickly in a time where you've got this wild amount of tracking of a human. That's what all of this was. This was like very specific, a specific case study in surveillance, a massive interesting case study in surveillance. Well, in sounds public, like, sounds like you've got a paper for surveillance in uh, society. I think so. This like, that's all this was. This was a bunch of people getting a little bit of information from a variety of sources. You, you couldn't determine its legitimacy completely, but, but you went on it. Yeah. And you had to get, you had to crush the noise and find the clarity and that confusion. You had to. And then you had to make a call based on a triangulation of information. And people were so good at it. And we found this out in Kawhi's press conference in LA when he said like, yeah, like people were at the hotel and they thought I was going to come out. He was there. He was actually there that day. No one ever saw him. If you look at all of the video frames, there was no legitimate like picture of Kawhi. There was like a grainy helicopter fed hundreds of feet away picture of like two humans walking from a plane from the MLSC jet into a, into a, an SUV. Who knows if that's Kawhi? It could be Steve. It could be John. Okay. And then they tracked him all the way to this hotel. And in real time, people were able to get there where he was. If that is not absolutely frightening, I don't know what is. I think the surveillance assemblage as a paper oh, get out lives on. It's an old paper, but the assemblage theory does make a lot of sense yeah. here. Yeah. I know you're hearkening to audience theory. I don't know a lot about audience theory. I, I have, I have a PhD in common even, media. Like, I didn't focus on the that. science of this or the, the, the yeah, the, but you're interested in the, the surveillance assemblage here. No, like I'm, people I'm in, using I'm their devices to monitor this guy. I'm interested in, in why we did that and what that tells us. And I'm getting to that. Okay. I assure you I'm getting to that. And here's where I'm going with it. Yeah. Ka what makes Kawhi Leonard so unusual is that He's not only uh, very weird. He, he's not weird. He's, he's a strange he's dude. He's his, he's his own human that we are all equally weird. I'm not using that in like a normative judgment sense. I mean that in like the textbook definition. He's unusual. He's odd. He doesn't he doesn't fit the typical. Okay. He doesn't fit okay. the typical stereotype okay. of a media hero okay. or a sports hero, I should say. Yeah. Okay. Look how much he's been teased. Yeah. Oh yeah. Online. The laugh. And, when he was playing in the States, whenever he would get a foul, they would play the, over the, the loudspeakers yeah. for the fans' his laugh. Yeah. Like, that's, that's ruthless. Yeah. And that again, is really, really ruthless. tells us a lot about how we approach labor, our labor pool. Right. But... Uh, and the other side of this, then, is his, his privacy. Because people don't know much about him. Yeah. We already played a clip. He doesn't... No, we didn't play that clip. Let's play it right now. Yeah. How would you describe yourself? I don't want people to fill in the gaps anymore. I want them to know how you, how you say you are. It's hard, I mean, um, to just say just a word, but I mean, like I, you already know, I said I'm a fun guy. <laughs> Kawhi Leonard doesn't have social media. Yeah. We don't know anything about the guy. Yeah, I think his last Twitter post was in 2015. But he's got 400,000 followers. Do you think people want to know something personal about him? Is that, yes. is that through the compensating? Yes. 
Yes. So Susan Burrell wrote this piece in 1981 in Social Forces. And she it's called Sport as Ritual. It's sort of a, a common um, theoretical piece that many sociology sports profs assign uh, as reading. And she like highlights how Durkheim thought that like religion, we connect to a moral order through religious totems, through all these like um, things that we treat as sacred when they're actually like sort of profane. And that connects us to a moral order. I think, and then she makes the claim that that actually happens in sport with athletic figures, that we treat these people as like these quote unquote totems that connect us to a, a sacred moral order, connect us to, to society. And I think that's exactly what we are seeing here. And I think that's why we care so much about that, these athletic figures. It connects us in some way to a shared understanding of social reality. It connects us to people who think alike, who are interested in the same things, who want the same outcomes, who have the same view of labor, who have the same view of society. And that is why sport is so powerful in the contemporary society. And to me, that's, I think, why this was so powerful. So the, the massive, the mass surveillance assemblage comes together. Yeah to uh find out personal things about the guy if you yeah. see him at a hotel it's personal you see him get him off a plane it's personal yeah we want into these people's lives if you build a story or a narrative whether it's falsified intentionally or not yeah. it it builds a personal sense of connection to the person who put toronto back on the map and validated all of drake's weird concerns and aspirations for the city of toronto moving forward into the 2020s right is it do you think it's reasonable or do you think there's something in it if I were to say something like this? Part of the reason why people have obsessed is because they want to vet him to make sure that he is a figure they can invest in that doesn't have a dark past, that doesn't have a dirty history. No. I don't I don't think it's about vetting at all. I think it's about power. I think it's like we want to know more about these people as fans because we feel like we are privy to that information. We feel like we deserve that information. If Kawhi is the captain of our team or if Austin Matthews is the captain of our team, we deserve to know about him, about his family, about his brother, sister, aunt, uncle. We deserve it as fans. And that is that's about power. That's about a relationship to something as a commodity, not as a human. It's hard to sell something that isn't good, that isn't moral yeah. and justifiable. Yeah. And the reason why I'm going with this is because the Toronto sports market ruthlessly invests in the personal lives, the private lives of yeah. its athletes. Yeah. Every market does. If you go to New York, they're going to do it the same. If you go to LA, they're going to do it the same. There are markets yeah. where the obsession is high. Yeah, the more yeah, they're more intensely focused. People and yeah. athletes in different sports have literally we can find quotes right now yeah. in different sports where people are terrified yeah. to come to Toronto yeah. because of the obsession factor. I think that probably only happens in hockey. Maybe and maybe yeah, I think it only happens in hockey. If an athlete screws up in Toronto, it's bad news. Hockey. In hockey. You're okay, fine. You can have it. You can have that one. In ho it's only hockey. 
So there's, there's another reason why this is coming up and it's a bit of a stretch, yeah. but um, again, this, this comes from um, a place where I wonder about privacy. Yeah. There are not a lot of celebrities around right now who are this private. Yeah, no, that's true. Daniel Day Lewis is one of my Great favorite actor. actors of all time. Yeah. And people Gangs know New York is one of the best movies. Ever Last seen. of the Mohicans. Yeah. There will be blood. Yeah. Incredible. It's, it's, yeah. It's and so he doesn't do a lot, but when no. he does, he's winning awards left, right, and center. Of Very private guy. Yeah. I think there's also something to why he wins awards. That's a whole <laughs> nother episode. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll save that for another time. And the other one, um, and, and this is, do not take me wrong. I'm not comparing him to who I'm going to mention at all. Again. It's just a matter of the privacy, the unusual level of privacy and reservedness of a celebrity is Kevin Spacey. Kevin Spacey was recently quoted, a quote was revised very recently and a number of of, uh, stories online about his legal battles because of the declarations of sexual assault that he purposely chooses to live a private life because it makes him on screen more believable. Was that like a Yoda thing that I just did there where I said the one part of the sentence in the last half and grammatically played it? Yeah, I did, I did a Yoda there, didn't I? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> I'm not trying to compare yeah. Kawhi to Kevin Spacey. What I am trying to say is that in the, day of, in the age of social media, in mm. the age of information, where celebrities are commoditized and the human is separated... And, and left alone and this life force of the imaginary and the digital becomes its own thing yeah. that is worth a lot of money. Yeah. It's weird that people have privacy if they're a celebrity these days. Yeah. What made the Kevin Spacey thing so crazy is that because there is very little talk about his personal life, when he was accused of what he did, mm-hmm. it ruined him. It yeah. destroyed his career. Yeah. Now right, all, and rightfully so. Yes, rightfully so. Yeah. Rightfully so. His, his yes, absolutely. We are one on record, one hundred percent. I agree with you. All of his legal, all of the criminal charges are dropped, but he's still engaged yeah. in civil suits in L.A. and the U.K. right now. He he messed up. And I just have no faith in the legal system anyway. So same. My point though, again, is not to compare. It's it's the weirdness of being this private in a day and age where you have surveillance studies yeah. scholars saying you can't. Yeah. You just can't do it. Well, I think that proves that you can't. What happened with Kawhi proves that you can't. Really. Information gets out there. Now now we know everything that happened. Almost everything that happened in that entire situation. But Toronto we st- never even stood a chance. But we still don't have the the inside kind of we don't have details about like we'll what his favorite food is, what his favorite color is. We don't have but you get that for most other celebrity athletes. Yeah. And why do you get that? Because this they interview why. them a lot, because they post on social media a lot, because they take up yes. endorsements left, that. right, and center. Why do we want yeah. that? Why do we want all that information? You know, there's a neoliberal thing. There's an emotional thing. There's a division of labor thing. I think we touched on those yeah, already. Yeah, definitely. Right? Definitely. I think above all, it's a power thing. I, I, I truly believe that. We want to know more about them. We want to treat our own lives as if it's private. But like this, this one class of citizen, like because they're in front of the camera a lot, we want to know more about them. We want to know every detail of their lives. We crave information about them. We watch reality shows about them. We track their movement. We see what they're doing all the time. And I think that that's a power dynamic. 
but obviously more. Of, of course, yeah. It's for all the, all these reasons. But that's as a sociologist, that's what's interesting to me about like the what this case study and this Kawhi Leonard ditching of Toronto. And see, I'm still bitter as a fan. Like not bitter. I love. I I've got a poster of him in my office. Love what happened and everything that he stands for and everything he is as a human. But as a fan, I'm like, ah, oh, I wish he was here. What do you know about him as a human? Uh, See, this this is the this is the problem now yeah. in our conversation is what is actually private. Yeah. You made a do, great distinction do earlier. Know, do I know Kawhi Leonard? No, absolutely not. Do I know who he is as a human? No. But from what I've seen of him, he embodies a character, at least in his public persona, that I enjoy watching. I enjoy listening to him speak. I enjoy his reactions. I enjoy his, like, you played the clip earlier about the paragraph thing. The little laughter after the paragraph. Hilarious. He's, like, make, kind of making fun of, like, everyone who posts this, like, Instagram story when they leave. I think that's hilarious. I feel like, a, not a connection, but I feel like from that persona... I could get along with that guy. And like, I, I know nothing about him as a, a human. I don't know him. Like, I, I don't know. We've never had a conversation. I've never spoken to him. And yet there are people out there who claim that they do. Yeah, of course. Because they've seen him somewhere. And that's as close as they could get Everyone to his person. Does that. Like, you know how many people growing up in Canada, you know how many people like I've listened to tell me about how they know ex hockey superstar? Oh, I know this person. Oh, I actually know that guy. I know this player for this team. No, you don't. Maybe like you knew somebody who knew them. Maybe you actually did know the person. But do you talk to them right now? You don't know who they've become. You don't know who they are. We we get that all the time. And you get that no matter where. The stories are abound, right? It's the same story about like, like when you talk to people former athletes or people who think they were former athletes. Everyone played like junior hockey or like everyone played elite <laughs> level football or whatever. It's just the same stuff. So th we still have a paradox that we need to get rid of yeah. before we finish. Yeah. What is actually private in this case then? Like is Kawhi as a human being, the entity, the embodiment that is deserving of privacy mm -hmm. and is clearly expressing privacy mm -hmm. or does he have a, uh, a digital body that is separated from his own. Mm -hmm. This is kind of like Arthur Kroger body drift, post-modern, yeah. post-human kind of stuff. Yeah. But there is this digital Kawhi, if, if that theory holds. Yeah. Doesn't need to, but it's just yeah. for fun. So he's his body, his digital body is out there doing and acting and performing, and he's he him as a human doesn't really seem to have any orchestration over that. There's yeah. that dangerous, slippery word again, yeah. orchestration. Media is doing it. Fans are doing it. Yeah. Algorithms are doing it. That data is existing in its own way. Yeah. And that is deserving of a completely different kind of privacy than the one we can talk about for him as a human. Yeah. Those are completely separate things. And I wonder if we can even connect them together in a meaningful way. Because anytime I talk to anybody about privacy today, yeah. it's about personal data. Yeah. Not about whether or not your car windows are tinted enough yeah. or your plane is able to disappear off of a runway. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Does a celebrity deserve privacy when the premise of celebrity means to be celebrated? How can you celebrate something that's hiding? Well, how can you, how can you even approach that as the central question, though? Because you don't determine whether or not you're a celebrity for yourself. 
everyone else does. So what if you dis- what if you don't social want to be media a, influencers would probably want, disagree yeah, with you. What if you don't want to be a celebrity? Don't be a professional athlete. So don't do what you want to do. Don't do what you would like to do as a human. Don't engage in what you love or passion. We we train our entire labor force to do what they're mm-hmm. passionate about. No, don't. Because like you're going to get attention and that attention is going to be not what you, what you want. Again, this tells us so much about how we approach athletic bodies. This tells us so much about how we value athletic bodies. And we're like, for the listener, we're both looking at this poster. We've been staring at this thing for most, like Derek's angled towards me for most of the chat. And I'm kind of like, and I don't like doing this. I usually like to sit square, but I, I am not. I'm sitting facing away from you looking at this canvas this whole time. Yeah. Like this tells us how we value that person. And to paint the full picture, the the pic the photo that is that's on my wall is a photo of the shot, and it's Kawhi squatting down. The basketball and Kawhi are color. The rest of the frame is black and white. And ironically enough, I got this off of Reddit and then just like sent it for a print. But you can only look, you can only see or the focus is Kawhi and the basketball. I think that's symbolic for a variety of reasons. Um, But I think that this tells us so much about how we as society value athletic bodies. To us, they're undeserving of privacy. They're undeserving of being able to make a choice of where they're going to go. Everything that happened following where Kawhi is going to go and then he ultimately left and then there was a bunch of hate like for Kawhi that he left and that why didn't he stay he could have won a championship again Toronto's the best we treated him amazing we gave him Kawhi and Dine all this crap as if he did something wrong as if anyone under that same scenario any one of us would have done anything different like I often, when I'm talking about this, use like an analogy, like, okay, so Tommy, do you want a a job for a a company? You're looking for a job, but you know what? You actually value going home a lot more than getting paid, a lot more than like the benefits than the weather. You just want to go home. So you get an offer to go back home. You're going to take that job over any other job. And nobody's going to blast you on Twitter. Nobody's going to say, Tommy, like, why'd you do that? Oh my God. Like, what's wrong with you? But that's what happened to Kawhi. Like, that's what happens to athletic bodies all the time. You just said a moment ago, though, that you don't think athletic bodies are deserving of privacy. I didn't know. I didn't say that at all. I said, that's what, how, that's what we think. Okay. I, I don't agree with that at all. We, we think athletic bot, we, the way we interact with athletic bodies, they are to please us, a general us as a fan base or as a, as like media, like media treats athletic bodies in a similar way. These people are not humans. 
they're not humans to us. We might like sometimes treat them as humans and like some journalists do, some people do, but no, these people are there to please our onlookership. They're there for, to put on a show while we're drinking our beer or eating our food or sitting at home. They're there for us. And I think this case study like just highlights that in so many interesting ways. Do you disagree with me that there are celebrity athletes out there who are purely obsessed with themselves and no, manipulate the media and take advantage of people well, and they I, live in the moment? No, they, can, they, they attempt to control their own narrative. Whether or not you agree with it or you disagree with it. Not all athletes are role models. Of course. Especially celebrity Tyree athletes. Tyreek Hill, like Ray Rice, people who are bad, certainly. But I think that those are, despite the amount of media attention they get, I think those are few and far between. I'm not, I'm not going to use the, the rhetoric of bad apple. I just think that they don't exist very often. Mm-hmm. Um, I think most, most professional athletes should and we should understand that they're, they are trying to control the narrative. They are trying to build their brand. And this is when it gets into a division of labor thing. This is when it gets into how we treat athletic bodies. We feel like if they're trying too hard or doing too much to control their brand, that they're an asshole, that they're a jerk. So this is why it tells us, me something about society and how we treat these people. LeBron's an asshole because he's confident. LeBron's an asshole because he wants to make billions of dollars. Like He's not an asshole for that because somebody is making billions of dollars off of him. Somebody ahead of him who's doing no work is making more off of him than he is making. And we lose touch with this. We think that, oh, these people make $50 million a year. They can't complain about anything. Like that's the narrative. Well, you know what? All right, LeBron James is making $50 million. And, and relative to like me, that's a whole lot more. Relative to all of our listeners, a whole lot more than what, than what they're making. But you know what? Somebody's making more. Sure. Ah, somebody sure. who's not working. Somebody who's not doing, putting the risk, putting their body on the line. Somebody who's not putting the work in. They're putting different work in. I'm not suggesting that like across the board owners do not do any work. Like uh, administrators don't do any work at all. I'm not suggesting that. But if the money doesn't go to LeBron, the money goes to Phil Knight and Nike. Or the money goes to the West family for the Lakers who do not put their body on the line. And we know this particularly is the case in violent sports. Basketball is like a relatively less violent sport, but take that logic and put it to football or hockey where we know CTE is an issue. We know injuries are a serious issue. And that logic, like that makes it a really sketched out, understanding of our relation to athletic labor when we when we demonize these athletes for whatever reason for for being cocky for for doing whatever or when we treat Kawhi as if he's our property he's not our property he's his own human he is deserving if somebody followed your flight would you be happy and post on twitter and you like had something that you wanted to keep private but and you're like, you know, like, I'm not saying like people care about your life, Tommy, 
People don't care about my life. But if I wanted to keep travel private, I have that agency. I have that power. Mm -hmm. He doesn't. And to me, that at the end of the day comes to a power relation dynamic between fan and the athletic body. We treat that body as if it's ours. I guess what's kind of throwing me a little bit, and I'm going to, and I mean this to your credit, because I think the, the, the analysis that you're providing is really astute, and I think it's really, really meaningful. Where it's throwing me is that you're invoking division of labor, which comes out of a Marxist tradition, and where the Marxist tradition is hot, uh, Marxist tradition is uh, um, alive and well in comms and media theory, does yeah. not celebrate celebrities. Yeah. It is not designed that way. Yeah. It's designed to come from the opposite direction. Yeah. Grassroots does not mean protecting celebrities. It means critiquing them yeah. and the assemblage around them. Yeah. So this is kind of why I'm like, I'm a little bit hesitant to continue into a conversation with the privacy because I don't really know how we're going to get to it in a meaningful yeah. way. But yeah, this is, this is, this is very unusual to be trained in media and comms and to think about yeah. like the sanctity and the privilegedness well, that I, ought to be. If you were to ask me, I, I think it's a misunderstanding of what celebrities are. And I think that we tend to, as a society, treat celebrities as the bourgeoisie as the controlling people and in fact most celebrities are and i'm i'm borrowing on marxist concepts here are the proletariat and we we don't treat lebron james as someone who occupies both a position as a proletariat and a bourgeoisie we don't we think that money equals power that money equals uh, control over the means of production again to borrow off Marx that's not the case LeBron James when he's playing and when it's anything related to his his NBA uh, participation is a staunch proletariat in any understanding of Marx mm -hmm. he is working for somebody else to make more money for somebody else he does not control that division of labor he does not control that means of production in other set settings, he might. He has his own companies, employs people, blah, blah, blah. And I think that we tend to get lost in, we treat celebrities as if they cannot be exploited as an analytical term, that they can't be exploited for a value. And why I say this is like, that's fine to like justify that they make more money than us. So we could care. We should care if like a staunch Marxist, I'm not a Marxist by the way, but a staunch Marxist would be like, we should care less about them and more about like people who like, can't like afford like basic necessities. Fine. But we can't ignore the same things that happen to that group of people. We can't ignore that. You know what? One day Kawhi might wake up, and feel like violated, viscerally violated from what he endured during that process. I don't know if he does, but does that make that feeling, that emotion less valid or true? And even not just Kawhi, like if somebody gets like subtweeted on Twitter that they're an asshole for leaving a team or that they're mm -hmm. a jerk for like being confident or whatever, trying to build their brand that they get like made fun of on Twitter, which happens to all of these athletes, that that's any less of an issue? I would argue no. It's just as much of an issue. No, I agree with you. And it tells us 
just as much mm -hmm. about our obsession with, on the one hand, our obsession with these people, but also what we're actually, I believe, grasping for, which is some sort of power over these people. Some sort of power as, as if we control a narrative about these people. Because when a player is under your team's control, contractually, you feel different about that player. You feel like that player owes you. You feel like that player should represent you. You feel like that player should connect with you as a fan, as a lifelong fan of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Austin Matthews should represent you. Well, maybe my buddy Z or my brother Riley. I couldn't give a damn. But I, I, I think generally speaking, I that's I'm just why, having fun with you. Yeah. That's why we, that's why we're so invested in this, because at the end of the day, we want him on our team, so that we can say to our buddies when we're out partying, "Man, Kawhi's the best. He's our guy. He's us. He's part of us. He's one of us, and he's taken us to the promised land. What's the promised land? In to you, it's this euphoria of winning." To them, it's actual euphoria, I believe. I believe there's some competition to it. It's the these, right to know that top athletes get to wear a ring you'll never yeah, touch in your that, life. That these players are going to win whatever it is for them. I get. But you know what in reality is for us, for most fans? It's like, cool, we get an extra night of drinking. We get extra game times to watch. We get extra things that can bide our time, that can disconnect us from an already tedious life. You know what? It's, a, it's something that we can distract ourselves from going to work every day. We can watch this stuff. It gives us a, something to talk about. It connects us to one another. And then it eventually, like, for a, few, a select few, results in a big party where you get drunk or uh, in Toronto or you shoot somebody or, like, whatever it is. And I think that that is an un, under-investigated area of social life i would entirely agree with you there's great opportunities to write about yeah. this and, and oh, to yeah. speak to these issues and they're very important yeah. especially from a privacy perspective yeah. at the end of the day for me it's really really hard to get motivated mm. to continue that conversation yeah. and it's because of where we started in this conversation yeah what drives me crazy as a human being, as much as it does as a professional with sports, is the obsession. Yeah. You're right. It is a distraction. Yeah. I like hearing about success in sports. Yeah. I like hearing about Mitch Marner donating money. Mm -hmm. It is a nice distraction from applying for jobs. <laughs> it is. What, what I don't get and what I can't get along with is when this is everything. You and I both have friends. This is all they talk about. Yeah. They don't vote. They're not engaged in the community. Yeah. Civil responsibility doesn't mean anything to them. They get upset when you want to talk about things that matter, that affect people in real time, on the ground, and online, in a, a time filled with fake news and people disproportionately speaking out against women mm -hmm. from completely crazy perspectives that have absolutely no rational justification or moral footing. All they want to do is talk about fucking sports. And when you turn on the radio and you hear that 
the most listened to talk show in Canada is primetime sports. And all they do is talk about Kauai. Mm -hmm. It drives me crazy. I, it's hard for me to think about the sociology of sport for these reasons. Mm -hmm. You, you've schooled me. You've, you've taught me a lot of really fascinating, cool things well, today. You, you hold on. I want, maybe we can close on this. You mentioned the word orchestrated. Mm -hmm. So don't you think that that is by design? Don't you think to that pull people away and, and, and distract them with meaningless crap all the time, whether or not your sports team is going to survive or die. Yes, I do. Who at the end of the day, like the, again, I sound like a staunch Marxist at the end of the day, who makes money off of this sports juggernaut? The top 1%, the top 5%. And who continues to want people who are, politically disenfranchised who are buying into patriarchy. I'm with you. I'm it, with it, you. It, I know you are. I, I, but that is, that's what I'm getting at here. That's why this is so interesting to me because this case, it's very minute. It's very specific actually highlights so many of the problems in society and we ignore it. We ignore sport. We don't even talk about sport. ASA, American Sociological Association, doesn't even have a, a section for sport. Like, you're out of your mind. Sport is the great distraction of the millennia. People say it's pop culture. No, it's sport. Which is why situating privacy within it is so important. Yeah, I agree. You sold me. Yeah, I agree. You're, you sold me. This, this is, I think, really hitting the nail on the head about why it's hard for me to talk about privacy in the context of sports. Mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. you've really fleshed that out of me. Mm -hmm. Kudos, honestly. Like, I'm not saying like I'm, I'm a fucking enigma, but the when you told me we should, you texted me earlier today, you're like, hey, you want to do something on Kauai and sports? And yeah. I think we may have touched on this a little while ago. It made obvious sense to me that the hyper obsession in the media was like something that we should destroy. Yeah. Brian Hayes, I love you. You're never going to listen to this, but like, don't pretend you're not part of the problem, man. Yeah. It's disgusting. What yeah, happened this summer is disgusting. Yeah, yeah. And so from that perspective alone, regardless of what I do or don't know about Kawhi Leonard as a yeah. human being versus Kawhi Leonard as a, as a commodity, yeah. that was compelling to me. Yeah. But there's been this sense of disease throughout our conversation because this is the great distraction of our time mm. and I hate reifying it. Yeah. I really do. I don't think we're doing that in this context. In this, I think I do that in my life. Like to be honest, like, I'm, <laughs> I'm on one hand a, a massive sports fan and I'm pacified just like anyone else through sport. And then on the other hand, like I have this conversation, an hour long conversation about how shitty sport is and about it, how like our treatment of these humans as non-human is like so problematic. I can get on board with yeah. that. I really can. It's hard to navigate. It's it is hard really to hard to navigate. Um, here we are as junior scholars. <laughs> trying to take down the system. <laughs> One <laughs> podcast at a time. <laughs> oh, if this doesn't exemplify noise, I don't know what does. Yeah. Maybe it's your buzzing fridge. Can you, you think we'll be able to hear that in the no, podcast? No chance. Okay. I didn't even think about it. You got any final thoughts worth adding in? I miss you, Kawhi. The fan <laughs> Kawhi, in me miss, misses you uh, a great deal. Um, yeah, that's it, pretty much. Looking at that photo, it, it's it's a moment that I'll never forget. But I'll also be thinking about it with my like 
sort of sociology glasses on for the rest of my life as well. The problematic aspects of everything that happened with Kawhi. Yeah, I can't ignore those. A lot of tension in that photo. Yeah. Yeah, not just win. It's not just about winning and losing. Sport is not just about winning and losing. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of What's That Noise? If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. If you have a topic or guest in mind, don't hesitate to get in touch with Derek and Tommy on Twitter at WTNCast. Stay tuned for bi-weekly episodes and until next time, keep listening to the noise.